Why do bad things happen to good people? Hmm. A question that we have considered throughout the millennia, where the deepest thinkers and the brightest minds have given significant thought to trying to answer this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> yes, and that is so great. You would love my notes. A good reformed view. None of us are good. <laughs> we are totally deprived. We are all sinners. Welcome to Hope Church. <laughs> we are here to tell you, you are not good. <laughs> Let's pack it up. Let's go home. Our work is done. <laughs> sinners in the hand of an angry God, right? That's a famous message. And while we joke about that, there's actually a comfort to that reality. There's actually a truth to that because we know that all is not as it should be. We know that all is not as God intended it to be. So bad things will happen to good people, air quotes, good people, people trying their best, people trying to live well. And we'll wrestle with trying to come to terms with this reality in a fallen and a broken world. But there's a deeper question attached to that question. And it's one we might be a little bit more afraid to ask because we're not sure we want to know the answer. And it's the question of why does God allow suffering? Hmm. Have you ever thought that? Have you wrestled with that question and pondered over it? It's a challenging one for us to think over. But here's the harsh truth. No one actually knows other than God. And you know what? That is okay. In fact, there is a comfort in that reality. That is okay. So today we're going to spend our time exploring why it's okay that only God truly knows why people are allowed to suffer while also helping frame our minds to come to peace with this challenging question. So the book of Job is going to be our backdrop for this adventure today. Anybody attempt to read the book of Job in preparation this week? Anybody? See a couple hands? Did you enjoy your nap? <laughs> can I say that? <laughs> Probably not. The book of Job can feel like a slog, right? Let's just, let's just name that. It can feel like a lot to get through because it's a bit of a downer to sit for 60-some chapters about the suffering of Job. And yet, when you do read it, what you learn is that there's actually a lot of comfort, a lot of beauty within this book, if you have eyes to see it. It's a biblical account that explores some of life's most perplexing questions— like the ones we've asked today, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Can God be trusted? Why does God allow pain and suffering? And through reading this book, just like Job does throughout, we find ourselves asking time and time again, why? Why? Hey, what's the favorite question of a five-year-old? Why? Yeah. And why is why their favorite question? Well, they are passionately curious about their world, and they are longing to understand. 
So we read Job, and like a toddler, we long to understand. But it presents no easy answers. So like Jacob and his wrestling match, Job makes us wrestle for our blessing. But wrestle we will. Let's dive in to this astounding book, the book of Job. We begin at the beginning with Job 1. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Don't worry. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a Sunday? Whew, pack a lunch. All right. <laughs> there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. Now he had seven sons. He had three daughters. He also owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. Oh, and in case you couldn't tell, the text specifies for us, he was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. So basically, in case having a book of the Bible named after you didn't already tell you, Job is an exceptional person. He's a big deal. Just look at all these blessings. And also, he is good. He is faithful. He's not sinless. It doesn't say that, but he is righteous. And as the text says, he does what he needs to do to maintain that righteousness. So God goes on to then brag about him. We pick up from verse 6. Where one day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came along with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. So Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And the Lord asked Satan, Oh, have you noticed my servant Job? Have you considered Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God. He stays away from evil. It's a very unique moment in the Bible where we have a glimpse behind the curtain of this thing going on where we see God and Satan talking and it almost feels like the beginning of a play unfolding before us. And yet this is God's true word that teaches us things about him. And so it's a very fascinating look. And we see God bragging about Job. God who knows Job fully and completely. He knows his heart. He knows Job truly is a man who fears the Lord who respects God, who has a reverent and holy respect and adoration of him and recognizes the holiness of God. But Satan cannot believe anything good about anyone. That's not who he is. He's the accuser, right? So he doesn't buy the fact that Job is actually living with integrity. Because look at his, re his response. Satan replied to the Lord, Yeah, but Job has good reason to fear God. Because you have always put a wall of protection around him. His home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out, take everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. <laughs> Satan believes the only reason Job is an upright man is because of his many blessings. You take those blessings away, no way will he still live righteously and with integrity. In fact, he says, he will curse you to your face. But God, being God and knowing the things that God knows, says, okay, you may test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do not harm him physically. 
So Satan left the Lord's presence. And you know how the tale goes. Satan does just that. In very quick succession, Job loses all of his animals, all but one of his farmhands, all but one of his shepherds, all but one of his servants, then all ten of his children. It's heartbreaking. Unfathomable. God let this happen. And we look around the world and we see in our world, in our midst, that suffering still happens. And it still exists, these unspeakable losses, this, this utter heartbreak. And we wrestle with the question of why. And it's really hard to sit and reconcile God allowing Satan to do all this. But there's a glimmer of, of good news in this. And what we see is that first, Satan needs God's permission. He can't do anything without God saying, you can do that. God also sets the limits. Okay, you can do anything with anything he has, but don't you touch the man. And while that's good news, it's also hard to understand and swallow news that God allows these things. And then we see Job's response. And I think of how I would respond. I have a few ideas. <laughs> and then we see how Job responds, his response, and we're shocked at his words of faith. This is what it says. Job stood up. He tore his robe in grief. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship. And this is what he says. I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this, they make sure to let us know that Job did not sin by blaming God. Was he heartbroken? Absolutely. Was he angry? You betcha. But whew, amazing that he can praise God in this moment. And think of this. We have knowledge Job doesn't have. Job had no idea that God and Satan talked. He was just living his life and going through what he does, just minding his own business, and tragedy strikes. And maybe you can relate to that a little bit. Just going through your life, minding your own business, and you get that diagnosis, or you get that phone call, or that text message, that moment when your world flips upside down. We often have no idea when suffering is coming our way. And we often have no idea if there is purpose to our pain. What we can take from that, from reading Job, in the midst of the pain, God knows he knows what you're going through. God is aware. And while we long for him to take it all away, we find comfort knowing he's close. And we can trust his word that says he will make all things right in the end. For some of us, that will be before our earthly death. For some of us, it will be after our earthly death. And yet, 
That is what his word says. He will make all things right in the end. So Job's response, it's pretty unimaginable considering his losses to praise God. And he even acknowledges that God is the one who gives and God is the one who can take away and that all things are under his reach. And what this shows us too is that he sees that God is bigger than his pain. God is bigger than his loss. And though it crushes his soul, even in that loss, he turns to praise. But the story doesn't end. The story's just beginning. And so God and Satan talk again. And God points out that Job has maintained his integrity despite all that has happened. But Satan still does not believe this. He believes he can break Job. So he asks God for permission to have Job Job harmed physically, believing that will cause Job to give in. God permits it, but tells him, just don't take his life. So Job is struck with terrible boils that cover his entire body. Anyone here have a really bad sunburn? Really bad sunburn? Yeah, yeah. Ever have a sunburn that blisters? Whew, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Several years back, year 2010 actually, had a really bad sunburn. I, I don't tan well in case you didn't know. I had this blister on my shoulder that just bubbled up and then my face was all blistered. It was awful. And the nerve damage that it caused was excruciating. I could not sleep. I was in constant pain for an entire week. It was miserable. By the grace of God, that faded. It was a sunburn. But if any of you have ever experienced chronic physical pain for any amount of time, you know what it does to you. You know how difficult it can be to feel hope, to get up again and face the day when all you feel is pain. Imagine Job being struck with boils, his entire body, no modern medicine to help. He's trying to scrape them with with pots and things to make them better. Doesn't help. Job's wife, she, she gets a really bad rap. And you know what? I see where Job's wife is coming from, frankly, because she believes that no good God would allow this kind of thing to happen to Job. Job was a righteous man. And so why are all these bad things happening to him? Something a lot of us think, right? But Job knows even in the midst of the pain that everything from God is a gift. We don't often think of that, that the bad things that come our way are a gift. And frankly, our minds can't comprehend that. But everything from God is a gift. So Job is suffering in every way you can imagine. Eventually, his friends come along, three of his friends, and at first, they are wonderfully empathetic. Oh, they are awesome when they first show up on scene. They, they recognize Job's state as if he was as good as dead. And so what do they do but the Jewish custom of sitting in mournful silence with Job for an entire week? That is the custom. You sit with those who are mourning the loss of a loved one until they, a week goes by and they're willing to speak. And they sit in that sorrow and in that pain with Job. One of the best things we can, frankly, do when our friends are suffering. Job opens his mouth and, boy, he pours out his pain. He pours out his sorrow, his anger to God. He does not hold back, all while still not sinning. But God longs for us to be able to come to him with every emotion we have. 
It's not like God is sitting there like blind to what we're experiencing. He longs for us to bring our suffering to him. And then his friends become a little less helpful because <laughs> they open their mouths. <laughs> what a lesson for all of us, right? <laughs> I mean, we've all been there where someone in our life is going through something and we're like, I have no idea what to say. Maybe you don't say anything. And I catch myself doing that too. We want to comfort them, but sometimes our loving, gentle presence is more than all than enough. Anyways, his friends start going down these kind of spirals of these different cases for why Job might be experiencing this pain and suffering. And it, it tends to revolve around the primary point of Job's pain and suffering must be a result of his own unrepented sin. Clearly, you have something going on. If you simply just repent from it, God will make things right again. And we sometimes have believe that lie ourselves. You see, sometimes our pain and our trials do come as a result from sin. We know that. There are consequences to our actions. But not all pain and suffering are a result of our actions, okay? There are things that happen to us, no matter what we do or how we're living our lives, that we can't fathom. And that is a harmful lie that his friends believe that has honestly caused so much suffering throughout the years. In fact, a lot of churches have caused damage by promoting that idea that, oh, if you just get right with God, you'll be healed or you will be made right. And then that healing doesn't come and you wonder, what in the world? His friends seem to be promoting that. And they come at it from different angles. And there's a lot of nuances. It's a lot of chapters. So I'm just summarizing here. You should read it to really get the full scope of their arguments. And so Job goes back and forth with his friends a few times. And what we learn through this is that Job, in the depth of his suffering, it seems his deepest desire is to simply know the purpose of his pain. He just, he wants to know why. Why has all this happened? Why was he born just to have all these hard things come his way? Why? And God allowed this for Job to suffer. So where's the comfort for us to read that? Where's our comfort in that knowledge? Well, the book of Job is not meant necessarily, first and foremost, not meant to bring us comfort. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It forces us to expand our view of God beyond our ability to comprehend. He surely does not fit neatly into any of our boxes. God is beyond us in glory and power and wisdom and love, way beyond anything we can even fathom. And in some ways, in a lot of ways, it's even frightening when we consider that. Because how vast he is, how holy he is, should make us be a little bit fearful because of his power. Yet, thank God for him being a loving God. He's very good. His word teaches that. But kind of like C.S. Lewis talks about with Aslan, is he a safe God? Oh no. Oh, he's not safe, but he is very good. We don't want a safe God because a safe God wouldn't have the power that we need to hold all of this together, to hold all of our worries and our pain and the universe and suffering, and then to be able to work it out for our good in the end. Only God, who he is, as he is, can do that. 
So after Job responds to his friends again, another friend just kind of pops up out of the blue. It is like fourth quarter, and this other guy's like, hey, I have another thought. And we're like, who are you? And there's a lot of interesting theories as to where this guy came from. But another friend comes, and comes at it from just another angle. But it's another angle that misses the mark. And then, finally, near the very end of the book of Job, God finally speaks. And he, you would think, answers Job. And he does answer Job, except he doesn't answer him. He does not offer the answers that Job is longing for. And God goes on for four chapters. You should read it. It's amazing. Read it, and you will, you will be like, sorry, God, you are amazing. And frankly, that was Job's response. Okay, four chapters he goes on, and throughout that, he never tells Job why he allowed him to suffer. He never gives him the answer he seeks. In fact, throughout it, God is putting it into perspective who he is. He goes, listen, I am God Almighty. I am I am better than you can ever imagine. I'm more holy can, than you can fathom. I am loving. I am all-powerful. I am the God creator of the universe and everything in it. And you are my creation. He shows Job the immensity of who he is. He's showing Job and showing us that, that we know so little of how this world actually works. We know so little of what is actually going on in our lives and in our universe that we can never fully grasp or fathom the depth of a perfect and holy God. Job, he's awestruck and deeply humbled. Think of all his suffering, all his pain, and his answers still not excuse me, his question still not answered. And yet he can hardly respond. For he has experienced God and his questions fade away. They lose all importance. He sits in reverence and with a repentant heart for even questioning him, though it's okay to question him, before the holy God Almighty. So he accepts God's word. He acknowledges him as the Holy One And he asks no more questions. Now the ending is pretty fascinating in its own right. We're not spending a lot of time on the ending, but essentially Job receives blessings again. In fact, he even gets ten more children. And yet it is a tension-filled ending because we know no child can replace the loss of a child. And so just fathom Job receiving these blessings again after having lost all. Imagine the faith to step forth again and to live once again with them. Now, it says he lived a long life and a righteous life giving praise. That sounds like kind of trivial, and it's just like it sounds like a happy ending. Imagine living through what Job lived with and with those blessings coming, wondering, will this go away too? But we're not really wrestling with that so much today as we are with the problem of suffering. And just like God doesn't give Job the answer to his question, why, the book of Job seemingly refuses to give the answer to the problem of suffering. And what we find is the point of Job, it's not to give us the answers. It's to help us live faithfully without all the answers. Job 
See, the task of the believer, it's to live in the midst of life's mysteries, trusting God to have the answers when we do not. Trusting God is who he says he is. Trusting Jesus came to make things right, to give us a path back to life everlasting, where he promises us there will be no more sorrow and no more pain. The book of Job calls us to a deep and radical trust. We think of Jesus' words when he says in Matthew 16 to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Give up your own understanding. Your thought of how this life is supposed to go and what you want to do with it, mm -mm. take up your cross. Take up this burden and follow me. To put our trust in God without having all the answers, trusting that he does. Trusting he will see us through. Trusting he journeys with us. And as he says in Isaiah, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways, oh, they're far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Which gives us another lesson we learned from Job. We don't follow God's ways because we hope to get something out of it. That's not the primary reason we follow God's ways, because there are no guarantees of an easy and pain-free life. We do not follow God's ways because we hope to get something out of it, but because God deserves nothing less than our full love. We do know that Following his ways gives us the assurance for the journey and the hope to endure and helps us along the way through the dark. Gives us comfort and guidance through his spirit. But we ultimately follow God's ways because he deserves all of our love. Because all we have, all we are, comes from him. So what does that mean? That it means that Job, this book, as we read it, it's inviting us to a life of obedience even when the life around you doesn't make sense. Because obedience is for God's sake, not solely our own. We will never have all the answers. And frankly, I think that's a great gift. What did Adam and Eve in the garden want but the knowledge that God possessed? We are poor carriers to carry the knowledge of all. Only God can handle that. Only God has a capacity to handle the complexity of all of life's answers, all of his truth. Only God can handle the truth. And we are called to live with this radical trust in the joys, but also in the pains of life, to call into this life of obedience for God's sake. Living into those truths is what it means to live with a fear of the Lord, which means living with deep trust, with reverence and obedience to our holy and good God. See, we want the answers to all of our difficult questions. Why? 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 We want to know all of wisdom, but it's not possible. It is not going to happen. But we can know some wisdom. We can know the beginning of wisdom. As it says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is 
the beginning of wisdom. Living this way, we start to live in a wise way as God longs for us to live. Job even says himself in 28.28, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. We'll never know the end of wisdom. We will never have all the answers of, to life's perplexing questions. But we can know the beginning of wisdom. And we can live into that truth through a life of obedience, of radical trust, and faith. To have faith that even in the darkest moments, God is trustworthy and good. And be faithful by living the obedient life even when there may be no immediate rewards. And God does not abandon us to our pain, but gives us comfort and guidance through the journey. Perhaps you're familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism. I trust many of you are. We are going to do a responsive reading of the most known and loved Q&A of the HC number one. So will you join in me? I'll ask the question. I want you to say this answer if you believe it like you believe it. So people of God, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Praise God for that resounding truth. Our lives are not our own. And Christ is all we need. We don't need all the answers, though that'd be nice. We don't need relief, though we all long for it. But Christ and Christ alone is enough for us. For it's to him we belong. For Christ is our hope. He's our life. He's our love. He's our purpose. He's our way home no matter what else this life brings. No matter what pain, what suffering, what unanswered questions. Because God is in control. He has the answers. And he will see us through. And he is more than enough. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, you astound us, frankly, with who you are. We can read four chapters of you going on and on about who you are and how this world is and how you hold it together and how you created it and who we are as your created beings. And though we can know you, we can never fully comprehend you. And frankly, we give you thanks. Because that means you are so much bigger than we can even grasp. And what does your word tell us? But you are a loving, compassionate, kind, caring, just, merciful God. And though we may suffer without answer, we know we never suffer in vain. That you work things out for the good of those who love and trust you, that you provide a purpose to our pain, even if we never have eyes to see it. So God, I pray that for those of us who are going through the valley right now, that we can cling to the knowledge that you are good, you are true, and you are close. For those of us that are not in the valley, but maybe have one coming up, we pray that you guide us through the power of your Spirit to see us through. And for all of us, as we look back on a life filled with hilltops and valleys, may we proclaim you as faithful 
through it all. For we can see how you have taken the bad and made beauty out of that mess. No matter where we are in our lives, God, we proclaim here today as your people that you are enough. Everything we need in this life is found in you and you alone. Praise God for who you are and that you call us your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.